This morning, uh, we are going to be talking about leprosy and Jesus' interaction with lepers. Last week, we uh, talked about the woman with the blood issue and how she was made unclean and kind of in that continuum with leprosy being such an unclean thing that um, lepers were were sort of other. There was just so much isolation around it and fear involved. And so uh, we're going to jump around a little bit with this in the stories because there's a few different um, stories and interaction where Jesus uh, encountered a leper. And then we're also going to take a look at uh, the story of St. Francis and his story. His life was so transformed when he initially encountered a leper. So we're going to jump around just a little bit. And what I wanted to do was start in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and there's just it's just a couple little passages there in Mark chapter 1. Um, and, and to understand a little bit too, right, we have four Gospels, but each Gospel is a little bit different. Um, the story of the ten lepers, which we're going to kind of go into detail about, is found in Luke. And Luke was a physician. And... So he, a lot of his gospel contains just a little bit more attention to detail compared to some of the others. He just, it seemed like he caught on to little nuances that maybe in, in just a quicker storytelling got skipped by some of the others, right? If we all experienced the same thing and we saw something and we all told the story, it would be similar, but it wouldn't be the same because it was told from different perspectives and viewpoints. Uh, Matthew is um, written more, Matthew was a Hebrew, he was a Jew, and was writing to the Hebrew culture. And so there's a little bit more of things that are important to that. And so he kind of goes into more of the genealogy and some of those little nuances that really make sense and have value within the Hebrew culture. John, on the the backside, Matthew, Mark, and John, uh, he was writing more to the Greeks and incorporated a lot more philosophy in his. So some of his stuff gets a little, um, not just black and white, here it is. He kind of tends to get a little philosophical and wants to challenge some of that Greek thinking and Greek processing. And so um, a lot of times when people come to faith that there's a new conversion, people say, oh, start with the Gospel of John. And I'm like, no, it gets weird because of the philosophy stuff. (laughs) I usually try to encourage, let's start with Luke. It's a little bit cleaner, a little bit more attention to detail. And then Mark's gospel is kind of the, the smallest and thinnest of the, the four and um, was really kind of more within the Roman Empire. Um, authority, tasks, the, the things you were able to accomplish is what mattered. If you were building your personal resume, it's like, oh, well, I did this and I did this. And you would, you would kind of list all of your accomplishments. And so Mark is very short risk, but it's just like, Jesus did this, Jesus healed them, Jesus saved that person, Jesus did this. It was just this real kind of narrow, but kind of action-packed also. So if you don't really like reading big books, but you like, you know, comic books that are, you know, then Mark is, Mark is where you want to go. Because it's shorter, it moves quicker, it's just kind of his accomplishments um, in that. And so I want to start with uh, the Gospel of Mark and his interaction there. And it's Mark 1, verse 40. It says, And a leper came to him, begging him. And kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. 
and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer your cleansing, which Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into the town openly, but stayed out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter. So some of the early miracles that Jesus was doing, he actually didn't just want to do things and heal people and whatnot. There was a message Jesus also wanted to get across. So a lot of the early miracles, Jesus was like, okay, I'm going to do this, but don't go and tell everyone. Like, I got work to do. And eventually, like, people were just so excited, they couldn't help themselves. And they told everyone. And then everyone's just following Jesus. And Jesus, we're not really interested in what you want to say to us. We just want more miracles. And, and it, it kind of crouched him in a little bit, which is why he was often withdrawn to different places. But one of the interesting pieces that we find in this translation of Mark, it says, uh, moved with pity. And the earlier translations, which also even that word, is just like, oh, I pity you, let me do this for you. Not, oh, filled with love and compassion, that sounds nicer. Uh, says pity, but some of the earliest translations actually use the word anger. And so as opposed to moving with pity, he was moved by anger to heal him. And the anger, you know, you start to think, well, that doesn't sound like the fluffy Jesus we know, you know, the nice, compassionate Jesus. Uh, but there are some parts where Jesus gets really upset in Scripture. And I don't think, because we know at the other stories of Jesus, that Jesus is angry at this leper, or he's angry at him for disturbing him, or he's upset that he was asked such a question. But throughout all of Scripture, you see Jesus having compassion for people who are in the margins. And I think the anger of which he's moved by, and, and this is early theologians, and they argue over text and some translations, if you really want to go into deep dive and hurt your brain around Bible translation, um, you can do that. But I think what he was upset about was how people with leprosy were treated. Here's this disease that is withering people. And it just breaks his heart. He's frustrated by it. And we hear that sometimes even in people praying and whatnot, especially around cancer and treatment. There's this, this whole rage in memes, if you follow memes that use words that we won't use here in church, but it uses an explicitive and then puts cancer behind it. It's just a statement. It's this anger against this thing that would wither the people we care about. And then further leprosy, because you were deemed unclean with it, you were, you were marginalized. You couldn't come into town, anything you touch. You literally had to wear certain wrappings. If you go into um, Leviticus 14, it goes into about how uh, lepers are supposed to, to be treated, and they had to cover their, their upper lip. Um, I'm just saying droplet, who knows? Uh, and, and just proclaim, even as you're walking down the street, unclean, unclean. And, and they had to stay removed in the isolation. And, and you see, Jesus is not just feeling sorry for people. Jesus is angered by how people have to suffer. And how often those who are suffering get treated. 
And we can apply this to other things, even, you know, we do a lot of work with houseless communities and whatnot, how often the houseless community is, is viewed. Oh, let's, let's cross the street so we don't have to go by that space. Let's look away or whatnot. And many of our friends on the street are dealing with health issues, mental health, different things, PTSD. There are reasons and traumas that have put them there. And, and they're isolated because of their suffering. And yet in the story of this leper, this, this brief encounter, a few verses, Jesus is angered. And that anger causes him to want to do something about it. And so he heals this leper and asks him to go and not tell everyone else, which, of course, he did not do. The number of people in the Gospels who don't listen to Jesus is astonishing to me. Uh, not that I've never not listened to him when I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit or any of those things, but, but it's, it's kind of a challenge. I want to dive into this other passage um, in Luke, and this one's a little bit longer of an encounter, uh, but in this story, Jesus actually encounters ten lepers, and not just one. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village, and ten lepers approached him, keeping their distance. And they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they at? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Um, a couple of just pieces to kind of dive out of this a bit. Um, I think one of the interesting pieces is, it says once they were going on their way, right? The lepers approached Jesus and said, have mercy on us, heal us. And he, he, it doesn't, this text doesn't say he healed them right away. He said, okay, you're still lepers, you're still infected, you you're, have this disease, go and show yourself to the priest. And in that moment, as we really talk about story and narratives that change us, they had a choice. Well, nothing has happened, Jesus. Why should we go to the priest? But it says they actually went. And sometimes I think in our own faith walk, when we walk with God or we're challenged by scripture and text, there's this piece where almost out of stubbornness in our human nature, like I'm not going anywhere until something happens. I'm not going to make a move until you prove something. I'm not, you know, it's, it, until I have a clear, direct answer from God, I am just staying put. <laughs> right? And we kind of, we, we settle in and, and it says that Jesus said, go to the priests and they went they actually chose action before any healing had taken place. As they are going, right, so obedience in what Jesus had said, as they were going, they were healed. And sometimes that's faith. It's not like, oh, I would believe in, in God if just something miraculous would happen. Was it faith? Like, oh, nothing miraculous has happened, but okay, let's go see what's going on. 
and we begin the journey. And as we begin following God, that's when the miracles happen. As we begin following God, as we are obedient to first take the steps that Jesus has asked us to, then we start to see God more at work. Then we see God showing up in relationships. We see some of those things. And it's not this, this oh, show me first kind of response. And so these lepers, just in, in I'll say, you know, as we, we talked last week with the woman with the bleeding issue, there, there was this desperation she had. I mean, if you had leprosy, you, there wasn't much hope. There wasn't modern medicine. Open sores led to various other infections. And, and there's just this, this desperation. And so just, you know, you're reading it right now. It's saying that, that these ten lepers, even though they're isolated or judged, othered, deemed unclean, they found community amongst themselves. Like nobody else accepts me, people look down on me, whatnot, but maybe we could huddle together and find community amongst ourselves. You're unclean, I'm unclean, great, let's be friends. And how often do we actually see that in society as well? Desperate for connection, desperate for association, just to belong to something. Um, even in, in a lot of the work with at-risk kids and street-level gang outreach stuff that we do, there is just this, when you've been isolated, marginalized, the impact of poverty, like, I just want to belong to a group. And here's a group. Now, they might be violent, and they might have uh, other issues, but they're willing to accept me. They're willing to care for me. They're willing to go into battle for me. And so we choose to associate just because the desire to belong is so powerful. But then often, when we look at a group of gang members over here, we look at a cluster of houses people over there, we tend to have judgment. And yet they're just so desiring to belong somewhere to have a relationship that goes beyond, to know that somebody has my back if need be. Um, so the leprosy, we have this desire that says as they went and what that meant. Um, one of the interesting things, too, that stood out to me as I'm reading this is this one who returns, um, and maybe before that, uh, there's a little bit of judgment because only one returns, but and, and he was a foreigner. If you were actually a Jewish person and you had been healed by leprosy and you were actually following the laws, um, Leviticus draws out a very strict protocol. If you are made well from leprosy, you have to go and present yourself to the priest. The priest takes you outside of the camp and they go outside of the camp. They investigate you. It goes through great detail of unwrapping all of the clothing, inspecting all of the clothing, setting it aside to see if, and kind of basically marking if the clothing and then the disease is spreading even on the cloth. Then if there are no spots, you have to shave your head um, and all of your body hair so they can inspect and just have access to the skin. And so there's this, this big protocol. And I think it would be easy, like, oh, one return, what about the other nine, and even almost judge them. But if they were of Jewish descent, 
and they were just healed, and they were actually following Levitical law, their, their religion kept them from returning to Jesus because they had tasks that they had to do. They had a checklist. Go present to the unwrap all your clothes, shave your head, sit outside the camp, wait seven days. Um, and so sometimes I think, too, in our narrative and understanding things, it's easy because if we're not in that situation, it's so easy to judge other people. Oh, well, they should have came back and said thank you. Hmm. Oh, I can't believe they didn't come to that event. But they didn't help move the chairs and the tables. I mean, we were just up in the Parker Hall moving some chairs and tables, and not all of you were there. I just can't believe you didn't come to help. <laughs> uh, right? Like we, we end up, but we don't know the story. We don't understand all the things. And so I think, too, even though there's this, you know, I do want to talk about the one who returned to give thanks and this gratefulness, but, but I think it would be too simple to just look at the other nine and go, how ungrateful of them they didn't return to Jesus. We don't know their story. We don't know their background. If they were specifically following a religious law. I don't know. If I was completely healed of leprosy, I would probably want to run immediately to the loved ones I haven't been able to connect with for a long time, right? We don't know their story. And to begin to place our story on other people and then judge them for their journey when we don't know all the details as opposed to holding room and grace and saying, I'm just going to stay open and I'm curious about their journey. I'm going to give them space to work it out. I think is important. Um, but I am also reminded in this story that I think people come to Jesus differently. So thinking this story compared to the woman last week, the woman who had the issue of blood for many years, pushes through a crowd, touches the hem of Jesus, is made healed, and she's like, who touched me? And knowing because she was unclean, she shouldn't have been there in the crowd, um, and it says that with fear and trepidation, she came to Jesus and was like, oh, it was me. And it says she fell prostrate to the ground. Now, if you were just an observer of this story, and you weren't close enough to hear what was actually going on, but you were, you were a little bit of ways away and you were watching it, and you see this woman touch Jesus' hem and then fall prostrate on the ground. And now we have the story of this leper who comes back. And he falls prostrate on the ground. But you weren't close enough to actually hear the words or what was happening. You could kind of go, oh, similar things. Two people, she had a blood issue, he was a leper. They both returned to Jesus and they fall prostrate before him. But it's very different because this one says that he came back to Jesus, praising God with a loud voice and prostrated himself before him and thanking him. So even though visually and from afar it looks the same, like they're doing the same thing. They're on the same faith journey. They understand the rules. But they both are coming to Jesus very different. The woman with fear, trepidation, uncertainty, prostrate before God. And don't punish me because I touched you. Don't punish me because I was unclean and I pushed through a crowd. Don't. And, and this leper, like with a loud voice, just excited, like, oh my goodness, I'm healed. Like, I don't know, whatever he said. Prostrate before the, just in awe of God and reverence. But it's a different story. 
And sometimes we all come to Jesus a little bit differently. And we need to allow room for people in their own journey to come to God however they come to God. I remember when uh, I first came to faith, and, and I've shared some of this story with some of you. For me, it was really about purpose. When I understood that like God actually loved people, and he wanted us to love people and not just play the religious roles, there was this this purpose to the gospel and there was this invitation that we get to participate in loving God and loving others and so for me at my core the gospel began to make sense when I understood the purpose and I immediately started you know I went through the stop and early ministry years I was working with at-risk kids um, with an organization called Youth for Christ but um, I wish I could have some of my early ministry years back I'm uh, realizing I didn't actually know nearly as much as I thought I knew. Uh, <laughs> but I pray for them sometimes. Oh, Lord, all the ones I love straight. Uh, but purpose was so important to me that when I would meet someone and they were having, you know, this, this part of where faith was starting to become real or tangible to them, I wanted them to understand this purpose of the gospel. I wanted everybody to come to Jesus through my purpose door. And so people would come and they're just broken hearted and they just need forgiveness. I'm like, yeah, forgiveness, whatever. Don't you understand there's purpose? Or they would come with this fear of, of, of hell and some people are so terrified of the eternal that they come to a divine God going, help me to understand. I'm like, yeah, yeah, forget all about that. And I didn't meet them where they were. I was placing my story, my expectations. Don't you understand that God gives us a purpose? We're to love people, we're to love others, and if you could just get through this purpose door, you could meet this God who cares about you. And I missed the part of meeting everybody in their story and meeting them where they were. Two similar stories, two unclean people, one falling before God, prostrate with fear and trembling, and Jesus met her right where she was. This other story with the leper who comes shouting and screaming with praise and glory and excitement and awe, thanking God. And Jesus meets him right where he is. How often are we willing to set aside our views, our agenda, our assumptions, our whatever, and just set that aside in order to meet the people that bring, come into our life right where they are? What is your story? What actually brings you to this point? Are you in a faith crisis? Are you at this spot where you need forgiveness? Do you need accountability and, and just community because you've been isolated as family has dropped off, friends have passed on? You've made bad decisions so your friends stop calling and hanging around with you. Where are you at? Or are you just at this confused spot where I don't even know, but I know that I want something in my life. And you come to God confused. And the great thing is, even if you come to God confused, He will meet you right where you're at. And you don't have to go through my purpose door. I would recommend it. God has good purpose for your life. I mean, I would really encourage you guys to check out the purpose door. Uh, but God is willing to meet you right where you are at. Whether you're fearful, joyful, thankful, looking for a cause and a purpose, understanding your place in this world, God continuously meets people right where they are at. Even if from afar, if you 
you were just the observer. You would look and say, oh, all you church people, you know, you do that. So don't just lump me in there. <laughs> I still have my own story, my own journey, and to be open, to listen, which again, I think is so valuable when we actually take time to hear other people's stories. So St. Francis, we'll shift from this Jesus story over to St. Francis. Um, St. Francis was born, we think about 1181, maybe 1182. And in that time in Italy, a lot of the different um, cities were, were actually walled and they actually warred against other cities, almost like little providence and, and there are these battles. And so, Francis as a child actually dreamed of like being a knight and going off to war and proving valor for his family and all of this stuff. Um, and in that time, he was very much, there was the noble class and then there was the low class. But there was this emerging middle class that didn't really exist yet for merchants. And if you were a good merchant, you did well at your trade craft, you could earn money and the more you got, you know, kind of your reputation built in your trade craft, the more the nobles would use you and kind of allow you into their circles. And so, so there was the nobility, there was the low class, and then there was just this kind of rising merchant class that was trying to change their story. We don't want to be identified as the lowborn anymore. We want this access to everything that comes with the nobility. And so. Um, Francis's father was a cloth merchant and pretty reputable and they started to gain wealth and um, so one of the ways you can also contribute to your family's reputation was to actually go off to these battles and if you did well in these battles then you could gain favor again of the nobilities because you're protecting the city and so um, Francis's father leveraged most of what he had to actually get him a suit of armor, which most people who went off, if you were lowborn especially, uh, you just went in the clothes you had and maybe a pitchfork or whatever, you know. Um, and, and so Francis goes out and actually, you know, his dad gets him a horse, he's got armor, he's not a knight yet or whatnot, but he's sort of riding around the battlefield with a little bit of clout and and almost even thinking he's arrived. Here I am, I have got my shiny armor, I've got my horse, y'all are walking. Uh, and, and it didn't actually meet. And while he thought that's what he wanted, there was still this unfulfillment. Battle goes on, he gets wounded and actually taken um, captive for a year. He's held in a prison by the opposing city for a year and gets really, really sick until his dad is able to raise enough money through work and whatnot and ransoms him. So he buys him back. And just kind of delusioned about the whole process. But at the same time, the crusades are starting to happen. And so he's like, well, this war didn't work out so well, and so if I go off on this crusade, this noble, holy war, and I can go there and do well in this crusade and return, I can again gain honor for my family. And he goes off. Um, and again, very disillusioned and not drawn to the bloodshed and the treatment and the whatnot, but this has been his childhood dream. And he ends up returning home kind of a little bit lost. I mean, he's in this state of curiosity, according to um, some of his, his testaments and notes. 
And it says that as he's riding along, he sees a leper. Now again, lepers are lowborn and beyond lowborn, like they're diseased or whatnot. They don't even get, you know, they're down the hill, living in caves, and and he's trying to gain this nobility and whatnot. So for him to even be seen in the presence of a leper could hurt his family's reputation. And so he was just so ingrained as his family was trying to climb this social ladder that lepers were so disgusting. I mean, he was actually in his notes, he was like, uses the word repulsed. He was so repulsed by them. He was put off by them. He found them disgusting. But he's in this process and searching, and he's out riding around the city um, on his horse, and he encounters this leper, and he's like, I have gone to war to try to gain family, and that wasn't it. Got really sick. Went to the Crusades. This is whatnot. And, and somewhere, and he just calls it a divine peace, he sees this leper, and he's feeling a bit low about himself. And he's like, this is just another human being. And if God has really created all human beings, this is, this is a person created by God. And if I'm created by God and a son of God and they're a son of God, then that makes this leper my brother. And he jumps off his horse and he runs and embraces this leper and kisses him. As was the custom, you know, the cheap doll. European thing, um, which is so taboo, right? You, one, you don't come within, you know, five feet. You certainly don't touch them, and you don't kiss them to say you're welcome, like we're the same. And and this moment, in terms of this series of love changing the narrative, that moment is what Francis describes as so changing him in this, this transformational moment. So it actually says he turned to get back on his horse and when he mounted the horse, the leper was gone. And he kind of looked for him. How did this leper just disappear? Francis believes that it was literally a manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. And we have some of those throughout the Old Testament where, where angels appear, where Jesus appeared, this incarnational moments where uh, God shows up in flesh and, and Francis is sitting there. This is probably about 12... 16-ish, and just like, I literally just met Jesus in the form of a leper. And it shattered his whole worldview of class systems. What does it mean? Who's clean? Who's unclean? Who's family? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? His entire world and paradigm is just shattered, and he doesn't know what to do, and almost fearful, he doesn't return home. He goes to a um, run-down church building that's been kind of falling apart, and falls on his knees and is just praying and the sun shines through this window and he feels the sense where it's just almost audibly within him that God says, build my church. And he begins building churches. Um, but not for the nobility, not for the highborn, because even at that point, if you became a priest, it was typically um, the nobility became priests because you had to be able to read you went to schooling. It was a class system. If you were a priest, you were of noble descent. Often the second-born son became the priest because if you're the first-born son, you inherited the family business. But if you're the second-born son, you have nothing. But you can bring honor to your family by becoming a priest and still adding to that reputation. So the majority of priests through that time were the second-born son um, to bring honor. And... And he begins building this church, but his ministry was not to the nobility, 
They actually called them the Friar Miners, right? The, or the, the Little Brothers, because there was the priesthood, and then, you know, there was those Franciscans who uh, wore, like, sackcloth and did communion with lepers. And, and they were still kind of the other, you know, fathers, the, the, the little fathers. Um, but there's a divine moment where his action, right? Just to think through the story, where does love change the narrative? And we think, ah, Francis, this rising merchant, he helps this leper, he embraces this leper to say, you're one of us, there's no longer a division, but, but if love changes the narrative, whose life was changed? Has the leper's life changed? Oh, let me have pity on you. Let me embrace you as one of my own. So often when we are willing to actually put our feet to action and step into some of these roles, it is not the people we are helping who are most transformed. But if we're willing to be gentle and humble in those moments and to see what is the divine spirit actually doing in these moments, we end up being the ones that are changed and transformed. We reach this spot where this, this change is just so prevalent in us. Uh, I want to jump back to this story of Jesus and the Ten Lepers. This one returns, praising God in a loud voice, and he falls prostrate at Jesus' feet. You know, one bad thing is, with my glasses off, I also can't see the clock very well, so who knows where we're at time-wise. The the impact of gratitude on our situation and where we are, when we're having a hard time, there's actually psychologists or whatnot are actually encouraging this, even apart from any kind of faith structure, that when we are struggling to actually almost recite a mantra of things we are grateful for, actually can kind of bring us at peace, it can slow our healing, but if you do it long enough, it actually begins to release different chemicals in your brain. Because when you, when you feel, oh, I'm, I'm dep- or things are hard, we almost get into that fight or flight mode, and, and it chemically shifts our brain into a different position. And when we slow down and we actually just start saying things we are thankful for, when we're overwhelmed or whatnot, like, oh, I'm thankful for a hot cup of coffee. I'm thankful that my son came to visit from Dallas. I'm thankful for the warmth in this place. I'm thankful for your smile. And we actually do that for for more than just like five seconds, where we actually get into this practice of gratitude. Then the chemicals in our brain actually start to change. And we can feel this peace. And we can actually embrace others in a better spot. Because if I embrace you in a fight or flight mode, that interaction is probably going to be different. And if I can actually, you know what? And it doesn't mean some people are like, oh, that's just putting your I'm not discounting what might be hard in our life or the challenges we have. Like, they are still there. It's not kind of a, oh, pie in the sky, Jesus is just going to make everything good. You know, we're, we're not doing that. But this, this moment of going like, you know what? Things might be hard, but there are still things that I can be grateful for. And so before we go into singing songs, I would actually like to ask you, what are things you are grateful for right now? What are things? Let's just take a moment and actually practice this. What are things you're grateful for? Yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Yesterday? 
All right, the service, just seeing the people there. Family. Friends. Our friends. Go ahead, don't give up. Keep, keep it. It takes a while for the chemicals to change. We gotta, we gotta get out of here a few. A place to meet. Health. Health. What is that? Home. Home. I often think that, especially when it's cold, we have, uh, this is going to go back to coffee, but we grind our coffee the night before and we have a little timer. <laughs> and so when I get up, I go downstairs, there's already fresh coffee. All right? <laughs> it seems so simple. Um, but I'm going to tell you the joy of having a warm home, carpeted steps so my feet aren't cold, to go and get my first cup of coffee in the morning. It is such a beautiful thing, and not everybody has access to that. And so it brings me gratitude. Because I love my coffee. Other things you're grateful for right now. We have health, home, friends, family. Food, inadequate food. And Virginia's crinkled chocolate cookies. <laughs> Let's be thankful for things. The joy of living. The joy of living. Which is yeah. all of what we said. Which is all of what we said, right? But the actual practice of gratitude. Um, and sometimes, you know, write them down. Sometimes recite them or just look at yourself. I mean, that's actually a harder one. I can do it when I'm out on a walk, but to look myself in the mirror and kind of make eye contact with myself and to actually just recite here are things you're thankful for. Don't forget. Yes, things are hard, but don't forget what you're grateful for. To just put us in a moment of gratitude. And this story, to think about what it would mean in this time frame, biblical times, the impact of leprosy and this leper healed to come back and just prostrate before God. Thank you. I'm in awe of you. You're wonderful. You're amazing. Do we also have that gratitude? Part of the joy of living is the joy of giving. Yeah, the joy of living is the joy of giving. That's what Norm shared. Being able to give back, being able to contribute. Um, it was interesting. Recently, I, I had an interaction. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking, really. But uh, we were helping some people, and they really they were like, "Why would you help us?" And and I was thinking about that a little bit. Um, sure, I do believe in helping people, but at the end of the day, it was like, "Well, that's who I am. Like, I actually enjoy helping people. For me to not help you or decide who I'm going to help or who I'm not going to help would be to betray like my identity." This is who I am. It's just what I do. And I need to be authentic to who I am. 